Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Aren't you glad the Lord knows what time it is? Right? I've done that, Mishy, a bunch of times since I referred to the wrong time of day. Well, uh, speaking of Mishy, her husband, Mitchell, um, has uh, been spearheading a project for us that actually Matt Graham began several years ago. And it has to do with how we manage and track all of our information and what's going on in our worship services and our registrations and bringing that all together in a unified place. And uh, it's really making a difference for us. I don't know how it's affecting you yet, but it's really making a difference for us um, as we um, organize and and lead. Um, and, And what I'm noticing, and I think I've told you this, Mitchell, is that it seems like at every turn I reach this next thing of, oh wow, we can do that? Well, that's cool. And it seems like pretty much everything, I've, I think I've only run into one thing that, that we can't do with it, that I like to be able to do with it. But it's just, it's, every new thing I learn is like, man, that's good, that's cool. Now don't you like it when something related to your computer goes like that? Uh-huh. Uh, but so it's really good. We start off with a basic understanding, or I did, and then, but it's just grown, and every, every, every turn, it's better. Better than I knew, better than I expected. And that's what we talked about last week with respect to Jesus. In the book of Colossians, in chapter one, we discover that, you know, when we came to know Jesus, Savior, we kind of had an idea about what we got. But at every turn, and every new piece of information, we start to understand that, wait a minute, I got a whole lot more than I expected, and it's a whole lot better than I understood. And that's the way it is with Christ. And boy, isn't that good news that as you go, I mean, I don't know about you, sometimes with life and the way it goes, it seems like a little bad news comes, and then what happens next? More bad news comes? Am I the only one? Doesn't life seem to kind of go like that sometimes? But with the Lord, it's never that way. It's always there's something better, there's something greater. There's something that just exactly meets a need. And and so that is such good news. Now, the reality is though, even though that's true, we may not remember it's true. And we may not experience all of those things. And so that's one of the reasons we need to keep growing, right? Keep connecting. Um, but there's something that's even a greater risk than that. And go ahead and go with that slide if you would, Stephen. Him we preach. That's what we said. Because Jesus is so good, right? We got he, somebody to talk about, something good to talk about. And that was chapter one. In chapter two, though, Paul warns us about getting sidetracked. Getting sidetracked. Because The reality is that if we get sidetracked, we're gonna miss it all. We're gonna miss it all and we're gonna mess it all up. Um, This terminology of a sidetrack, and I talked with John Hunt, uh, who is our resident railroad guy, works in a railroad yard, and we talked about this and the idea of getting sidetracked, a sidetrack. You have the main track where the trains come and go, right? And, and they, that's how they head off to where they're going. And, and sometimes there's a, a, a sidetrack, okay, that, that you, you maybe you have, to, uh, you have to pull a train off on, but sometimes trains get onto the sidetrack accidentally. 
And now they're stuck. They gotta wait until everything else moves and, and get out of the way and finally try to get back. Uh, and so if nothing else, a sidetrack wastes time and wastes energy uh, in, in the business that loses money. Um, but it can be worse than that because uh, what John told me is that sometimes trains end up on what we call sidetrack because somebody threw the switch wrong and on this sidetrack down the way there are people working on the track and it is set up so that when they're working down the track they put in these things that will cause a train to derail before it hits the work site. And so it is possible that the train gets on the, on the uh, side track and then ends up derailed, uh, doing damage to the train, you know, making it very difficult to get back on the track. And sometimes people even die as a result of those kinds of things. Big deal. And so it is, if we get sidetracked from Jesus, sidetracked from what we have in him, sidetracked from what the Lord has done for us in him, at, at best, it becomes a waste of time and a waste of our lives. And at worst, it does damage that could scar us and scar others. So it's really important that we not get sidetracked. And, and so this is what the Apostle Paul uh, kind of focuses in on for us in Colossians chapter two. So let's go to Colossians chapter two. And let's read through the chapter. Now let me remind you that um, In Paul's day here, as he's writing this letter to the Colossians, there is this early, we see this early, um, not rumblings, but early signs of a doctrine, a false doctrine that was beginning to affect the church and affect believers. And that was that um, there were other spiritual beings and other spiritual connections besides Jesus that you really needed. In fact, they were the connections that were the most important, you know, a special knowledge that you would get from them, a special experience that you would get. And that Jesus is good. Jesus is good and it's good to have him. Bring him along with you. But he is an add-on. Now, the Bible says that there's coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that's right. Now, being Lord, everybody bowing to him, everybody, you know, confessing that he is Lord does not go along with add Jesus to your life. He doesn't get at it. If he is, does come into your life because you open your heart and your, your, your life to him, he comes on as Lord. And as we saw in chapter one, all sufficient. Everything we ever need more than we expected, better than we expected. But so Paul is challenging this because, uh, you know, these believers can run into people who say, oh, that's great, Jesus, yeah, I, I, I believe in him too, that's so good. Now let me really fill you in on what it is you really need. And so Paul here starts to challenge that in chapter two. He challenges it in chapter one by showing who Jesus is. In chapter two, he begins talking about some warnings and things that we need to pay attention to. If you don't have a Bible with you today, uh, we're gonna be on page, I think it's 1253. Is that what it says there? 13. 1352. Well, that wasn't even close. <laughs> I really don't have every page memorized. Okay. Chapter two, verse one. 
Paul says, for I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so as we read along, you, I think you can see, right? He's making a point of where are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge hid? In Jesus, not in something else, okay? Uh, verse four, now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. And let me just stop right here and say this word cheat, it means to cheat you and rob you, but it, it really, the word that's translated communicates more than that, it's actually to capture you. It captures you and so cheats you out of all these other things. Beware lest anyone cheats you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. So he's talking about a, 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 a symbolic circumcision, a spiritual uh, circumcision. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. How many? Good news? Yeah, probably even better than you thought. Verse 14, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross having disarmed the principalities and powers, and Barry's talking about uh, satanic, uh, Satan and, and uh, spirits who serve him. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So, let no one judge you in food or in drink, or regarding a festival, or a new moon, or Sabbaths. And all these things were religious uh, kinds of ceremonies and practices that the, his readers would have understood. Verse 17, he says, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. And so see, this is this idea, this is the more that you need. This is the bigger that you need. Worshiping angels and, and the, this mystery realm. Verse 19, and not holding fast to the head. Talking about Jesus. From whom, the whole, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God, 
Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Right, you need all these regulations to be right with God. That's how you gotta live. He says, no, why would you do that? And what's he talking about? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, and the list could go on and on. Verse 22, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men, of men as opposed to of God. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. So he said, they're, they're gonna tell you things that look good. Oh, wow, yeah, that's what I need to do. Has an appearance of, of humility and all this kind of stuff, but he says, it don't work. Now, I don't think Jesus ever talks with bad grammar. <laughs> it doesn't work, okay? Doesn't matter how good someone makes it look, it doesn't work. The only way you make progress against the indulgence of flesh and the lust and desire of the flesh is through Jesus and knowing the truth about him and living out that truth. All right, so we're not gonna work our way through the whole chapter here, but we wanna go back and work our way through a bunch of it here. So let's go back to the beginning. Uh, so Paul has already told chapter one all this awesome stuff that you have, but Paul is concerned that his readers aren't going to experience that. They're going to miss out on that. And as he says, so he says, for I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, that was a relatively nearby city, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. And so apparently when Paul ministered to people, uh, you know, he brought them the gospel, he talked to them. What he's concerned about here, he always really emphasizes to them. He always, you know, makes sure they know and understand. And these are people who have come to Christ that Paul hasn't had any direct connection with. And so he's concerned that they might miss out on these things. Well, what are these things? Uh, some specific things, he says here in verse two, that their hearts, may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So he normally made sure everybody that he, he witnessed to, one to Christ and discipled, knew these things, understood these things, experienced these things. But he was concerned that they might not. Now. What I want you to see is this, that the Apostle Paul was concerned that these folks would get sidetracked away from the truth in Jesus. Understand this, it's easy to get sidetracked. It's easy to get sidetracked. Uh, lots of ways in life that can do that. Um, I'm not gonna elaborate on that now, but just know that it's not that hard to get sidetracked because something comes along and. Here I am elaborating anyway. Uh, something comes along and it, it looks good, right? Oh, we read over here, oh, that looks good. Wait a minute, that's not Jesus. All right, so Paul says this for them here. He says, for I want you to know what a great conflict I have. What's he mean when he says I have great conflict for them? Well, I think, first of all, Paul has, has a great concern 
a great burden, a sense of unrest in his soul about where they at and, and do they understand this and how important it is. He has that conflict in him. But when we see Paul using this word conflict elsewhere, it, it actually comes from a Greek word from which you get the word agony or agonizing over. I have this conflict for you. When Paul talks about that, he's talking about I'm praying. I'm agonizing over you in prayer. And so the Apostle Paul, at great distance, he's in Rome, uh, under house arrest, and he's writing to them. And, and he's saying, you know, I, I am agonizing over you. I am doing battle for you. I am praying for you, because this really, really matters. And so let me tell you what I'm praying for you. He says what? That your hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. Okay, now if I'm understanding that properly, that reminds me that, that the Christian life is not a go it alone, do it yourself life. And so Paul is concerned that they might get sidetracked and what's his very first thing he prays for? That would keep them from getting sidetracked, that their hearts would be knit together in love. This is church stuff. This is church, isn't it? And I don't mean just church, oh, we're in church or the building, or I mean, that's, this is us together, that, that we grow in our love for each other, and we're knit together. And the idea of being knit together is it doesn't, doesn't come apart easily, okay? So one of the, the main things that we need to understand and grow in uh, is that if we are going to remain true to Christ, not get sidetracked, and by the way, lots of times when you get sidetracked, you don't even realize you're sidetracked. And to avoid that, we need to come together as the body of Christ and, and love each other and learn what that all means. And so let me say it to you like this. A close, purposeful relationship with your church family will really help you stay on track by helping you understand and experience all you have in Jesus. Because he sets this right up. He says that your hearts would be knit together in love and attaining to all the riches, everything that there is in Christ, and that you would come to know Christ in these riches and would understand the, the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge in him. All of these things aren't going to happen apart from the body of Christ. Now, um, I think it's in Ephesians. I'm not remembering for sure. But it says very clearly that, that Christ, yeah, it is in Ephesians, almost positive, that in Christ and what God did in the world, he showed his wisdom, his manifold wisdom to the entire universe, to all of those spiritual beings who stand in opposition to him. His wisdom in the church. And so there's something about this idea of us coming together and learning to love each other and, and, and hearts being knit together in love that opens up the door for us to grow an understanding of these riches. Because you know, I don't naturally love you. Now, don't take that personal. That's more about me than it is about you. But I would say to you that you don't naturally love me either. It is it's by the work of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives that he, he sheds abroad, Romans says, the, the love of God in our hearts. And, and so there's something, God's wisdom, that when he brings us together and tells us to love one another and we grow in that, that that's what will enable us to 
in a way we never would otherwise experience who Jesus is, what he's done, and what it means in our lives. You can't do that on, our, on your own. So when it comes to getting sidetracked, what does Satan want to do? Satan wants to separate you from your church family in order to sidetrack you, or sidetrack you. Okay, so that's two points there. He wants to do this, he'll do this in order to sidetrack you and he will do this by sidetracking you. Either way it works, okay? He wants to separate you from your church family. What are some ways that we get separated from our church family? Well, I've watched it over the years, folks, and it's a sad thing to see. And that, that somebody who's well-connected, they're around. By the way, if you're gonna have relationships with people, you gotta be around people, right? If your heart's gonna be knit together in love, you have to be spending some meaningful time together. And so I've seen people uh, over the years who are here pretty regularly for our worship time. They're involved in a Bible study. Maybe they're connected in a, in a, a ministry or a, a, a small group uh, working together in their spiritual lives, whatever, you see that. And then something comes up in their life and there's something new in their life. There's something that looks exciting, whatever. And they start making choices to pull away from some of those things. I, I don't have time for those things anymore because I need to do this. And, and it's not necessarily even a bad thing. But they've now pulled away. And, and it isn't very long before they get a little more disconnected and they pull away some more. And then you start to realize, we haven't seen them for a few weeks. And they're hit and miss. And I have talked to some of those people who have come to a place in their life where they realize, whoa, that is not the right way. I need to, to be back following the Lord and walking with him and connected with the, the body of Christ and doing that. And I talk to them about it and they say, you know, you don't realize how fast you begin to feel disconnected. How fast it happens. So let me just, just throw this out to you. A good question for you to ask. The next time that you find yourself in a situation where you're making a decision, am I going to go worship with, the, with my church? Am I gonna go do that? Or am I going to, to do this Bible study? Or am I going to be in the, uh, this small group? Or am I going to uh, continue with this ministry? And you're trying to decide if you're gonna keep doing that or not. Just ask yourself the question, who most wants me to step away? God or Satan? Now, let me be careful. I don't wanna communicate something I don't mean here. There will be times and places in your life, very possible, that the Lord is going to say, yeah, you need to step away from that right now because here's what I want you to do right now. Okay, he gives us something else to do. Uh, you know, I'll just, does that make sense? That there, you know, it could be, could be a family thing, could be a work thing, whatever, but it's, it's, it's temporary, but okay, the Lord is actually leading you to do that, and you are persuaded, that, and you know that because of your time in the Word and praying to the Lord. You know that because you've gone and got good godly counsel who, who supports you in this. You know these things, okay, so God has given me to do. But if it's not that, and you're choosing to step away, who wants you to do that, God or Satan? See it for what it is. You know, I was looking at, you know, we're preparing for the end report, and I was looking at the summer, uh, the, or the, the attendance statistics, and look at the summer, boom, and I think of how many times we, choose, we just choose to be gone. And that's a recipe for getting sidetracked, maybe evidence that you are sidetracked, okay? 
And you know, if you've been here any time, you know we're not trying to say, oh, if you're not here every time we meet that you're sinning. I'm not saying that. Do you guys understand what I'm trying to say? It's when we're making decisions, oh, I, don't, I think i got something else. You just take that really seriously and take it up with the Lord and then do whatever he makes clear to you to do. All right? Okay, so let's go back to the word here. Verse four, he says, now this I say, I'm telling you this, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. This deceive you is this, means false reasoning. They're gonna reason and they're gonna reason and say this and it's gonna say, well that sounds reasonable, that kinda makes sense, persuasive words. But how do we know? What are we measured against? When you hear somebody come along and telling you, oh, this is what you really need to do, this is what you need to do, this is what's going to really bring satisfaction in your life, this is how you're really, and you're going, you need to, uh, and there, we'll see more stuff here, but say, wait a minute. Does this line up with what God says in the Bible about Christ? Because you know, I could come in here today and knowing the Bible fairly well, I could go and find verses and use verses, and before we're done today, I'm gonna, you're almost gonna be persuaded that there is a specific diet you are supposed to follow because you're a Christian. Think I could do that? All right? Persuasive words, deceiving, but wait a minute. Is that about Jesus? See, what have we done? We have what? Sidetrack. Now that doesn't mean, there are, I think the Bible probably does tell us some things that would help us to make healthy decisions. I think it does. But anything that sidetracks us from Jesus. Someone comes along and tells you, oh yeah, you have Jesus, great. Now what you need to do is you need to have this experience with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is God. But the Holy Spirit's job is to point people to Jesus. And so if someone's coming along and telling you this stuff, you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is taking Jesus out of his rightful place in my life. This is looking to something else to get what only Jesus can give me. Now, people who come and do this to you are often very, very sincere because sidetracked people sidetrack people. Okay? And they, they may be very unwitting in what they're doing and very well-intentioned. And I use some examples, but I want you to, I'm not trying to pick on those things. There's, there's lots of things like this. And so we gotta make sure that we stay where we are at. Because I understand this, you know, as Paul dealt with this, this false teaching, that there's this other big and mystery things that you need, that's what's great. Oh yeah, Jesus is good, bring him along with you. you know, and he's saying, no, 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 Jesus is that great thing <laughs> that you need. Let this sink down into you, and we'll see it in a later verse, but let this sink down into you. If you have Jesus and he has you, you have everything you need. Everything. Now, I mean, everything that you need, it's there, it's available to you. Anything you need is available to you through Christ. All right? On the other hand, if you don't have Jesus, or, or, or he doesn't have you, then whatever else you have will never be enough. Settle that in your heart. Many, many years ago after I first came to Christ, uh, I, I would sing in church and I, I would uh, sing a song. Um, 
says the world will try to satisfy that deep longing in your soul. And I don't remember all the words, but the idea is, you, you know, it comes down and says, but only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Only Jesus. Everything else is counterfeit. Everything else is a sidetrack, okay? All right, so how do we avoid the sidetrack? Let's look here. jump down to verse 6. He says, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And we'll look at some more stuff in just a minute, but let's, let's stop there. As you therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. The same way that you receive Jesus, walk means what? Usually in our New Testament? It means how you live, how you live your life. So the same way that you receive Jesus, live your life that way. So you're going to stay on the right track by living the same way you got saved. How'd you get saved? You came to believe what God says, and you did something about it. What did you do? So you, here we were, we, everybody here today who knows Jesus as Savior, at some point in time or another, came to recognize, wow, there's a God, he is a holy God, and I have sinned against the holy God, I am big trouble. And we recognize, we learn that Jesus died for our sins and rose again from the dead and that if, if we will turn you know, from our own ways and our own life and turn to him and, and choose to trust him. And by the way, the, the word that describes us repentance. We turn away from our, we, our mess and turn to him in faith and, and place our faith in him that he forgives every sin, uh, gives us eternal life and moves in, right? We, we, everybody who's been saved has done that. But so how did, what did you do? You came to know this truth and you did something about it. You what? You responded. You turned from your own life and resources and turned to him for his forgiveness in his life. Okay. That means in every other area of your life, what you want to say is, what does God say about this? What do I need to now do about this? And, and I guarantee you, I mean, none of us are going to get it perfect. But if you consistently look to the word and say, what does God say about this? All right, well, God, what is this? That's, that's this look in my life. What, I mean, what am I supposed to do about this? I, I believe you. And then some clarity comes. And you say, okay, because God says this, I'm going to do this. You'll stay on the right track. You will. And that is, you know, such good, good news to us. And then he describes some of this. He says in verse seven, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you've been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Uh, in, how many of you are English geeks and you love grammar? Well, more than I would have thought, okay? So we understand in a language there are tenses, right? There's, and we typically think there's past tense and present tense and future, right? We, we tend to think of those things. Uh, and, and that's true, we have and mostly past tense and present. But in the, not just in the Greek language, in English too, but it's, it's very evident in the Greek language. There's another tense that's called perfect tense. Now, before I tell you what that is, let's talk about present tense. Present tense means something is happening now, right? And as, as uh, particularly in the Greek language, this is what's happening now is ongoing. It's an ongoing kind of thing. And then there's the perfect tense, which tells us that this has already happened, but the results are ongoing. In other words, what was accomplished is on 
going. And I'm almost positive that that's what Jesus used when he said it is finished. The perfect tense, it's done. Results are ongoing from now on. But when Paul says here, he says rooted and built up in him. The word rooted is perfect tense. And that's talking about when you came to Jesus, your roots went down into Jesus. Now, where does a life come for a plant? Where does it come from? Uh, from the roots, that's right. So your life is now in Christ, and his life is what's coming into you. And that is a once and for all thing. You make that decision, you trust Christ, he comes in, he changes you, makes you a new creation, and that is ongoing. But we need to do more. He says we need to be built up in him. Okay, the only way a plant grows is when that life comes up that it does the things it's supposed to do, whatever. I'm talking about plants doing what they're supposed to do. They just do it, right? But the point is that it comes up and they, they are built up and they grow up. And we need to do that too. And we do that you know, by, by pursuing our relationship with the Lord, a personal relationship, by being in the word with him, taking the word in, uh, meditating on it, trying to figure out how to live it, by getting together with others and their hearts knit together in love, by letting someone else teach us, uh, and, and on and on it goes, so we can be built up. And built up is in the present tense, which means what? ongoing process. You don't arrive. Ongoing process, so let's look at it. Built up in him, established in the faith. Okay, this is getting these basic things settled. He said, as you have been taught, you need to be taught. And then he says this, abounding in it with thanksgiving. How did thanksgiving get in there as being important part? Because when you are ungrateful, you're at great risk of being deceived and sidetracked. You realize that? It's when you're dissatisfied. It's when you're not content that you become open to a different idea. And so we need to make sure that we are being built up and that we are being established in our faith in a way that we go, wow, thank you, God. You know? So think about it. Am I grateful? When you find yourself becoming ungrateful, say, wait a minute. This is not good. This opens me up to being sidetracked and focus in again on all the reasons that you have to be grateful. All right, so let's continue here. He says, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of man, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. All right, so there are some things that Satan will use to draw us away. And... and, and uh, Go ahead and go to that slide if you would there, Stephen. Things that Satan will use to draw us away. One of those are traditions of men, human traditions. And those don't have to be religious. There are just some certain things in the way people do things, right? If you want to say, how do people do their finances today? Are there any traditions of men? Absolutely, there's the way everybody does it. What do you mean you don't do it that way? You know, in relationships. Hey, if it ain't going well in your marriage, what's the tradition of men now? Just... Leave it and find another one, maybe. Okay, all sorts of traditions of men. And so, can a tradition of man match what Jesus says? It's not a trick question. Do you think the traditions of man could match what Jesus says? Uh, probably pretty close, sometimes it could, all right? Certainly, we, it really needs to, what's behind it is important. But yeah, it might look close. Uh, but overall, human traditions almost always miss the mark somewhere with what God says. 
And so what are we gonna do? We need to measure those things, things that we just take for granted. Boy, you want a challenge? Start looking at your life and say, what do I just take for granted? I just made a decision. I didn't even think about it. What did I take? Wait a minute. Is this God's way? Or is this a tradition of man? Hmm. Maybe look to the word and find out. Maybe get some good godly counsel and find out. Talk to someone else. All right. Another thing is natural human wisdom. And I say this, this is, this, um, and James talks about it. He says, man's natural wisdom, how we look at the world and the way we think it is, he says it's earthy. Okay, it's not spiritual. It's, there is a spiritual part to it, though. He says it is, it's influenced by demons, by Satan. There's a satanic aspect to that wisdom, false wisdom. Okay, and so we need to avoid that. And how do we do that again? How do we know if something's God's wisdom or not? Right? God's word and the body of Christ, the people around you that you can fellowship with and talk these things over with. The counsel you can get and someone who can teach you all of those things. And finally, good things that aren't about Jesus. And I kind of may have talked about that already. Satan will use that. Good things that aren't about Jesus. Uh, you know, I'm gonna, I, my plan is to get Discovering Life Source Church class completed today and I want to do a good job of that. And then I'm gonna go watch the Patriots. Now, good thing, I like it. Okay, but if my life starts to become about the Patriots more than it is about Jesus, I've made a mistake. I've been sidetracked, right? And I mean, multiple times this year, I've missed the first quarter and the first half because I've been ministering to some of you. Praise the Lord, and I'm happy to do that. But you see what I mean? If I, if I said, you know what, oh, sorry guys, from September to January, <laughs> you ain't gonna see me after the service. You see what I'm trying to say? And so good things that aren't about Jesus, they will sidetrack you. Watch out for that in your life. This could be your job, it could be a relationship, could be your hobby, whatever. Okay, and so let's remember this idea of good things that aren't about Jesus, we already said it, right? If you have Jesus and he has you, you have what? Everything you need, and if you don't have Jesus or he doesn't have you, then whatever else you have will never be enough. So don't forget that. All right, verse nine, powerful, powerful verse. For in him, in Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and then the next phrase, and you are, what's the next word? Complete in him. What do you not have in Jesus that you need? Answer's what? Nothing. You are complete in him. So Dave, how many times when we find ourselves counseling people with kind of some long-term issues and all that, that they are still trying to resolve, find a way to make themselves feel important or find a way for themselves to make themselves feel secure, right? I mean, those kinds of basic things. And what they need to come down is no, wait a minute, I, I have those in Jesus. I need to change how I look at my life. There it is. Now I know what God says about I'm complete in him. That means I really don't need anything else except him. Everything else that I have is found in him. Okay, now I need to change how I'm thinking, how I'm looking at life. You see how we're doing that? We're living the same way we got saved. We learned something, did something about it. Okay. So, uh, 
Side tracks. How do we recognize the right track? Well, God has laid down the right track in Jesus. Let's look at these verses, verse 11. And I'm gonna try to move through them quickly here. In whom you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So let me say, circumcision was the, it's sort of almost a representative thing for the Jewish people. It was representative of their relationship with God, a symbol of that, and uh, in some sense you could talk about the circumcision, you're talking about people who followed the whole law of Moses. And so what he's saying here is that the whole law that God gave Moses has been taken care of because Jesus lived it out. Jesus lived it right. You didn't, you couldn't, Jesus did, okay? So he's dealt with that. Verse 12, buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And so this baptism, this idea of Jesus, or God taking us and putting us into Christ so that his death becomes our death and then his life becomes what? Our life. Okay, we have his, his life within us. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. In other words, you were, you were twice separated from God because not only did you sin against God, you uh, weren't even under the law of Moses. You weren't one of, of the Jewish people, the, the chosen people. You being dead in your trespass, uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Now, these next two verses deal with the accusations and the accuser. And what we're gonna see is verse 14 tells us that he has removed the accusations. By the way, if, if you looked at your life and you've said, has there ever been anything in my life that I could be accused of doing wrong? You wanna make a list? And so those accusations, sometimes they feel like they hang over us. And, and you know, we talk to people who feel guilty for everything for the whole life. But he says this, verse 14, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. So if, we, if you could write out this list of everything that you have ever done wrong, what has he done with it? What's it say? Having what? Wiped it out, it's like erasing it. Gone, gone. He's removed the accusations, how? Because he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. All those accusations, the sins went to the cross with him. Accusations are gone, he's removed them. Verse 15, having disarmed principalities and powers. Again, I said this is the satanic, or Satan and, and demons in that world. Having disarmed principalities and powers and he made a public speckle of, of them, triumphing over them in it, he has overcome the accuser. So the accusations have been removed and the accuser has been, power has been taken away. Is that good news? I know it's getting a little long here. So uh, just understand that God has laid down the right track in Jesus. That's why you gotta keep going back to Jesus, back to Jesus, back to Jesus. What's true? What's true about my relationship with him? What's true that he's done in my life? What do I need to understand and believe and then do something about here? And then the rest of the chapter, Paul has other things in it, but he goes and just talks to the Colossians about the kinds of things that, that they were at risk of being sidetracked by. Specific things in their time and their culture. And he keeps warning, not this, don't do this, it doesn't make sense to do that, ba, 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 right, because of Jesus. But know this, getting sidetracked always brings regret. Always brings regret. 
The longer the sidetrack, the longer the regret. The deeper the sidetrack runs, the deeper the regret. And so it really matters today, folks. It really, really matters. And so let me give you one thought, and I want to say a couple things about that, and we'll be done. Avoid getting sidetracked by focusing on the right track. And the right track is this. Jesus is everything to me, and all of my life is about him. And I would venture to say that there are are a bunch of us today that would say, well, I agree with that, but our lives don't. Our lives don't. So here's what I want you to think. If if you are going about your life today that, okay, uh, you know, I have my family. Okay, I got family. I got that stuff to do. I have a job. I have to do that stuff, figure all out what that means. You know, maybe I have a hobby and things, other relationships, and I have church. Okay? That's a sidetracked approach to life. What you have to say is, I have Jesus. And Jesus has me. All of my life is about him. He has put me in this family. Lord, what do you want me to do in my family? He has given me this job. Oh God, how do you want me to do this job? He's allowed me to have the opportunity to use this hobby and find a recreation. How should I do this? How do I keep this in a good place? How do I use it for you? and whatever else the list is. Do you see the difference? One is adding Jesus and everything else is a sidetrack, and the other is saying, no, all of my life is about Jesus, all of it. And that'll keep you on the right track. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word that you teach us these things so powerfully, so clearly. I pray today, Father, that we would not just go about our lives without giving any thought, Father, but that we would lay our lives out in front of you today and tomorrow and the next day as we go through life and say, wait a minute, Lord, am I I living as though this is about you or am I doing something else? Am I getting sidetracked? And Father, I pray that that when you show us things in places where we're sidetracked, that we would just turn right back to you and do whatever it takes to be back on the right track. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming to hear the word and go have a great week.